spring is here. Birds are calling. Skunks are crawling. Wagging their tails for love. Spring is here. Whales are churning. Worms are squirming. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Reservations, and I'm Rain Whalen. And um, this feels weird <laughs> not having Jeremy here next to me. But um, if you tuned in last week, you'll know that Jeremy is on a cruise with his fiance, and we didn't want to leave you guys high and dry. Uh, now, if you're listening, of course, you won't. You'll see just an empty chair. Uh, but if you're watching on YouTube, that's uh, an empty chair. Maybe future rain might. Put a little picture of Jeremy right here so this doesn't look entirely weird. Um, but yeah, guys, uh, but we still wanted to do an episode to uh, do an episode for you guys. So Jeremy uh, kind of tasked me with um, doing a solo episode, uh, doing a movie that he really loves. But before we get into that, um, just want to give uh, some quick film recommendations, uh, maybe some films that... I don't get to talk about a lot now that uh, Jeremy's not here. I can. Um, so recently, I uh, I watched the new uh, Bill and Ted movie, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um, I don't know if I've ever stated it on the podcast before, but I uh, I'm a huge Bill and Ted fan. Um, I mean, I know I think I've stated it when we've done uh, the Back to the Future episodes and the Predestination episode. I love time travel movies, um, and Bill and Ted is just good fun. Uh, granted, the second film, not so much, but the uh, but the third one um, actually really shocked me. It was really good, really funny, very reminiscent of the um, the first Bill and Ted movie. Uh, you can actually find all three on Amazon right now. Uh, that's where I watched them. Um, but yeah, you know. Um, also, I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Amazon for <laughs> discounting the uh, Zatoichi. Um, box set and uh, I finally am pronouncing that right I may or may not be releasing uh, a, uh, a separate video about that but um, that's all dependent on if uh, Jeremy came back to uh, get back to me um, but anyway um, so I don't want to keep this episode too long but I also don't want it to be too short so I have this lovely iPhone 3GS with a timer on it so I do not uh, go over my time so with that being said, let's let's get into this, guys. So um, again, if you listened to last week's episode, we, I should say I, am talking about the 1952 uh, Sir, because he is a knight, Sir Charles Chaplin's Limelight. Uh, this was Charlie Chaplin's final movie that was produced in America uh, before he was, um, his permit to enter the United States was revoked. Thanks to, uh, you know, McCarthy and the Red Scare and people thinking he was a communist uh, sympathizer, but I digress. Um, and yeah, if you if you did tune in to last week, you'll know that before M from Fritz Lang, um, Jeremy would tell people this was his favorite movie. And honestly, um, I would have to agree with that. Uh, it was phenomenal uh, because keeping with the theme... Um, of this season, even though this is not a uh, an official episode of season seven, um, I have never seen this movie before. Um, 
I'm I'm a bit of a novice when it comes to Charlie Chaplin. Uh, Jeremy loves him. Has actually even, uh, I believe, visited um, his studio. I think Jeremy's got some pictures. Uh, he can correct me when when he's back uh, in studio, as it were. Um, but Jeremy's a big fan, and when Jeremy got me into the Criterion Collection, um, one of the first few movies he told me to get were, were Charlie's movies. Um, so I've seen City Lights, a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, uh, romance, comedy romance, um, and I've seen The Great Dictator, which is a brilliant, brilliant satire um, from Charlie. Um I, I highly suggest everyone see that. And this one. Um, Limelight was not at all what I was expecting. Um, I was expecting more, a little bit of The Great Dictator. You know, Jeremy did say this was, <clears throat> excuse me, sort of a drama, I guess. Um, but it, there, was some, there was some comedy in it. it. It does have a sad ending, which we all know Jeremy loves. Um, but it's, it's a, necess- it's a necessary ending, um, to this story. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's, uh, my job now to, so those are my first impressions. It was a phenomenal movie. Um, so I guess it's not my job to, uh, we'll kind of keep it going with how the, the show, uh, how we do our format. So synopsis, um, Limelight follows the story of a washed up comedian named Calvero, in uh, 1916, uh, pre-World War One, London, um, he's sort of washed up because he's just gotten older and he's become a bit of a drunk, and so no one wants to hire him anymore. And one day, he inadvertently saves um, this young dancer from a suicide attempt, and they grow close. And while growing, growing close and him trying to build her confidence back up because she's young and she can come back. He's simultaneously building up his confidence because um, having become a bit of a drunk, he's ruined his good name. So all of these uh, theater managers don't want to work with him anymore. Um, And little by little, uh, Teresa, or Terry, um, finds fame and finds success and and I'm kind of yada yadaing through a lot because I do want to uh, again keeping with the format of the show I want to touch on uh, a lot of aspects of the of the movie um but she manages to tell Calvero of a um of a theater house that is going to do a benefit in his honor and he performs an amazing comeback performance and um, has a heart attack and dies, and that's limelight. Um, again, it had, does have a bit of a sad ending, but we all know Jeremy loves sad endings. So um, that is limelight. Um, so let's talk about the the character of Calvero. Um, of course, obviously played by Charlie himself. Um, from what I was reading, Charlie based a lot of this on his own life. Um, you know, I was prepping for this episode by reading uh, where Charlie's career had gone to at this point. And, you know, just a few years prior, he had done The Great Dictator, which was The Tramp's final movie. Um, shout out to our Chaplin episode as we learned that 
which is, I believe, true. Um, hopefully Jeremy doesn't crucify me for it if it's not. Um, Charlie did not want the tramp to speak, and so the great dictator was his opportunity for the champ, tramp to speak, uh, but to say something meaningful, meaningful and uh, impactful. Um, so this is after that, and then, like I mentioned at the top of the show, um, Charlie's permit into the United States was revoked, so he could not re-enter. And he did two films in London, and that was it. Um, Charlie's career, pretty, he pretty much retired after those last two films. Um, he, he was done. And um, this movie and the character of Calvero really kind of encapsulates that. You know, it is based on a short story that um, Charlie himself wrote. And, um, and yeah, you know, it, it was almost like he was trying to come to terms with how his career had even been going. Um, but, you know, the character of Calvero is very, he's very sad. You know, when we first meet him, he's coming home from... I guess what we would assume a bender. He's very drunk, very intoxicated. Uh, and in classic Chaplin format, um, he, he's killing it. <laughs> you know, he's very, you know, Charlie um, always nailed the, the, the drunken, the drunkard walk and, and, and things like that. Um, and uh, in the opening scene, when we first meet Calvero, a uh, little little nod. Some of the street kids that we meet are played by Charlie's kids, uh, his actual kids. Um, I told uh, I told Ashley that uh, he got around uh, getting free labor by casting a lot of his kids, which is a, a little bit we'll touch on here in a second. Um, but yeah, but you know, Calvero. It, it's definitely a situation of the world has passed him by. Um, but he's not ready to give up yet. So the movie, and even if you read online the synopsis, uh, Calvero is considered a comedian. Uh, back in those days, you know, vaudeville and theater performing, um, you know, his job was to make people laugh. Um, and, you know, and it's not comedian in the traditional sense that we know now, you know, of a stand-up comic who comes on stage and, you know, says jokes and then there we go. You know, it's it's performance com- comedy, uh, but of course, you know, much like uh, um, vaudeville and, and things like that, he would sing and he would dance, and he would have little acts uh, here and there. Um, but the world has passed Calvero by, but he he doesn't want to give up hope because he knows one of these days he will be able to make a comeback, and he he will be appreciated for who he's always been. Um, but as we see with his, uh, agent, which is a phenomenal scene, um, very intense scene where his agent pretty much tells him like Calvero, you know, you, you you were drunk too much. The stage managers don't want to work with you. Um, you, you've, you're done, uh, essentially is what he tells him. You're done. Um, but of course his agent, uh, is trying to help as best out he could, as best he can, uh, by even booking him a show, um, essentially free of charge. Uh, I mean, they're going to pay Calvero, but not very much. Um, and it and it 
and it's just hard, you know, it's, it's really hard to see because it seems like where he's killing it the most in his performances is his dreams, which are these really awesome dream sequences that I didn't realize what it was. I thought they were flashbacks until, um, until it's explicitly stated that they were dreams. Um, and it's, it's, it's really hard. Again, uh, it's almost like Charlie was having to come to terms with himself. Uh, this is how my career is gone. Um, and it gave me very much, uh, especially here in, uh, when we meet Terry, it gave me very a little bit more of uh, a star is born kind of. Uh, and maybe there was some influence on it. But that's, you know, that, that's a good segue into Terry. Or, or the character's name is Teresa because uh, they're English. But they call everyone calls her Terry, and she's a dancer. But when we meet her, um, she's trying to kill herself, which is a a, a very dramatic um, way to introduce a character. Um, because we meet her while Calvero is coming home from his bender in that opening scene. Oh, actually, the, the film opens with her uh, uh, attempting suicide. Which I guess she took some, I guess some sleeping potion, not potion, <laughs> this isn't Harry Potter, uh, tonic, um, and she's turned on the gas on her gas oven, and has, you know, put towels at the bottoms of the doors, and plugged all the holes, that way uh, she suffocates. Um... And Calvero inadvertently um, saves her life. Uh, he doesn't, from what I gather, he doesn't initially think it's a suicide. I think he just thinks maybe something's wrong, maybe. Uh, I mean, there's evidence that it's a suicide, but he's also drunk. But while drunk, he manages to get her out of her apartment. Um, oh, because I should mention, mention they're all in a uh, landlord uh, multi-tiered apartment. He lives two floors above her. Um, but he manages, while drunk, manages to get her out, get to the doctor, and get her help. Um, the doctor informs him that she she needs bed rest um, to get better. And as she's getting better, um, the landlady sells, <laughs> re-rents her apartment. Uh, so she's kind of forced to stay with Calvero. And they get to know each other, and we get to know a little bit more about Terry and she knows who he is. She knows that he was once Calvero. Um, and, you know, he learns that she was a dancer. Um, but she got sick and uh, she just genuinely is almost exhausted of living. Um, when he finally asks her why she wanted to kill herself. And it's because, I guess, living is hard <laughs> and she got sick and 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 she couldn't dance which is her passion her passion is dancing um but you know it's it's very um over dramatic <laughs> uh, terry is a great character don't get me wrong she's she's a phenomenal character a little needy but she's a great character but she she the first half of the movie, she is a little bit um, whiny and <laughs> overdramatic. 
But we'd learn that, you know, her her sister had become a, a streetwalker. You know, we learn about her, her family history. Um, and then we learn about a man she loves, uh, where, uh, before she, I guess, started dancing, had, had met, um, this, uh, musician who was composing music and he would come into the, uh, not stationary, essentially she sold him his music sheets and, um, they were always very polite to each other, and there was just almost an unspoken unspoken thing between the two of them. And Neville, who we learned uh, it was the musician, uh, is played by one of Charlie's uh, children as well, um, Sidney Chaplin. Uh, not to be confused with Charlie's brother, Sidney, um, which I thought that's who it was for a second, but now it's, it's Charlie's son. Uh, but anyway... Um, and Calvero prophesizes to uh, to Terry that that they'll meet one day when they're both famous, and he'll confess his love to her, and she'll confess her love to him, and everything will be right in the world. Um, but Terry doesn't seem to be very. She's she's growing to like Calvero and like this sort of new sense of life that she's gotten. But she's all, she's not really believing him, you know. Uh, there there are these moments where she is struggling to even believe what what he's telling her. Um, but uh, but through it all, um, which I said also 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 mention, good God, this is why I need a co-host because I can't just sit here and talk. Uh, even though I like to talk, <laughs> uh, I need someone talking back to me. Um, but anyway, we also learned that during her healing process, she has um, pretty much uh, she's convinced her legs don't work. Uh, uh, you know, psychosomatic uh, um, injury, or hopefully maybe future rain. Or honestly, nah. Anyway, um, she, she's convinced that her legs don't work, even though there's everything's perfectly fine with her. She hasn't had any, you know, she hasn't hurt herself. She's fine. She, she just is convinced that her, her legs don't work. But Calvero, seeing the positive, because um, oddly enough, um, a former comedian, a washed-up comedian, becoming a drunk, um, still sees the positive in everything. And he... Helps her realize that her legs work just fine, and and there we go. Um, but after that, the movie kind of hits on, in my opinion, three big things, or four. Let's just let's say three for now, and if I have a fourth one, while I'm thinking, uh, it'll come to me. Um, so so three big things after that. Number one. Um, Calvero gets news that the booking that his agent got for him went through and that he will be opening, not just performing. He will be opening the, uh, the show and it goes poorly. Um, uh, people walk out on Calvero in the middle of his routine 
and he is very downtrodden and is convinced that this is it. His career is over, and he'll never make it again. Um, two, Terry um, manages to secure him a audition for a play that she's in uh, as a background dancer who she herself is auditioning for uh, to be the lead ballerina. Uh, in case you, in case I didn't clarify, she's a ballerina dancer. Uh, when I read she was a dancer, I was like, oh, ooh. Uh, but no, she's a theater dancer, a, a ballerina. Um, so she manages to secure him a potential job offer uh, for a play she is auditioning for herself. And they take him. They they need a clown for the um, for the play, and <clears throat> they decide to give him a shot, even though he's not going under his name. Uh, this is something he's been trying uh, for a few scenes that we've seen of going under different names, because again, his name Calvero has become, as they say in the movie, it's become sort of poison. Um, no one wants to work with them. So that's uh, two. Three. Um, uh, Terry runs back into Neville, the musician. But, and this is kind of, not really the next point, but it's like 3A. Terry is madly in love with Calvero, which in my opinion is Stockholm Syndrome. He took care of her and he... He was there by default. Um, and then for the benefit. Okay, so there was four. Um, so let's go back to number one. Uh, number one, his show at uh, the theater uh, that his agent got for him. Um, it's pretty bad. He, what he, what at this point, what Calvero had been working on is to not drink. Because as he explains that drinking would make him funnier, yes, but it would also alienate the audience. And it became a vicious cycle where it got to the point where he couldn't even go on stage without taking a drink. So he tries to do it sober. Um, and he's fumbling over his words. And the audience just genuine, genuinely isn't um, entertained. And so when he goes home to tell Terry about this, uh, because, again, she's been living with him, he tells her that he just feels so destroyed, pretty much, uh, that it's, <clears throat> that that's it. His career's over. And she tells him not to worry because he's contract, he, he had a contract with the theater. But because of how bad he did, they, uh, terminated the contract which is again another just blow to this already broken man pretty much um and he just he doesn't see a way out he really doesn't he he's just like this this is it i'm done i'm i'm done uh two so we cut to six months later and terry has started dancing again and she's working for this theater where 
they are looking for essentially extras for this play, and she pushes for them to hire um, Calavero. Um, and he, she goes home to tell him that, but he has started drinking again, and he's just not really hearing it. He doesn't think that it's a good idea. Um, but as Terry predicts, sober Calvero does go, and he gets the job. Great. Um, he says it's a start. It's a foot in the door. Because, yes, they're only going to pay him uh, two pounds a performance, I believe, I would assume. <laughs> um, that's okay. Because he knows this is a step in the right direction. But... Um, at the same time, Terry is auditioning to be the lead or the prima ballerina uh, for this upcoming play that the theater is having. And she kills it, uh, crushes it, um, uh, and they make a good point to say that she's drenched in sweat. She, she put her whole self into the dance. She, she remembered Calavero's words and she fought for it, which is a lesson that that they both have to learn. Terry has to learn to fight, and so does he. <clears throat> um, but, and this kind of leads into three, um, the musician for the play is Neville, the young musician who um, helped her so, helped, she helped him so long ago that uh, he's now kind of moved up in the world, and he's... Uh, you know, he's, this is his music. And, and he, it's very obvious, he has feelings for Terry, but, um, this is where kind of 3B, 3A come in, comes in. Terry is madly in love with, with Calvero. Uh, so much so that she begs him, uh, to get married that they should get married. Um, and he's just not really having it. And I think it's because he knows that Neville is a good fit for her. Um, because they're both young, uh, and he's an old man. Um, but Terry's not really having it. You know, she's really not. She doesn't want to hear it. She, she knows who she loves. She will always love Calvero. And she very bluntly, after the the shows for uh, the uh, opening night of the show, she very bluntly tells Neville that she will always love Calvero, that, that, that whatever she had for Neville is, is gone. It's, it's Calvero and it, it doesn't matter. Uh, she will love him. Um, and then four. Um, well, Redact my previous four. Four, uh, Calvero moves out. Um, upon learning that there's, there was just going to be no convincing of Terry that they should not get married, that she should be with Neville, he decides, okay, something needs to change. And he moves out of the apartment that was truthfully his to begin with, <laughs> but he moves out and he becomes a street performer. And he is genuinely happy he's as he runs into neville and even the owner of the theater that terry's been 
performing at, he tells them that um, all the world's a stage. He doesn't have to perform on stage to to feel purpose and to feel happy and to feel that what he is doing is fulfilling him. You know, kind of uh, kind of call back to our uh, Ikuru episode. He's fulfilled. Um, but that's not enough. And number five uh, is the benefit. And this is, you know, we have 30 minutes left in the movie. And this is the most, in my opinion, uh, powerful and poignant. Well, not really poignant. Definitely powerful moments of the film. Um, this this whole sequence of of preparing for this and 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 seeing Calvero's uh, ovations. Um, so number five. So Terry tracks down Calvero again. Still tells him that he she loves him and that she still wants to marry him. But tells him that the owner of the theater wants to um, put on a benefit for him. <clears throat> and he's like, well, you know, I've got some ideas. And that's what he's been telling us the whole movie. And he still has ideas. And we, we finally get to see some of those. So, cut to the benefit. The benefit is sold out. People want to see Calvero. Um, of course, he's worried that it may be pity. <clears throat> he doesn't want people to laugh out of sympathy. He wants them to laugh because it's good. But luckily, um, they are genuinely laughing at his jokes. Uh, he, When he first comes on, he performs... Um, the flea circus uh, bit that we saw at the beginning of the movie, um, which apparently was an actual, I believe if I read it correctly, um, an actual performance that Charlie would actually do. He would actually perform a sort of flea circus uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say bit, but bit's the only thing I can think of. And then he performs an act. There we go. Uh, Flea Circus act. And then the second act is the one that he flopped on, that people walked out of, of him singing about being a sardine. Um, and people are loving it. And they call for an encore. And so he, his encore is the final act that was his big idea. Which, uh, the first time, as if, again, anyone listened to last week... Um, Buster Keaton is Calvero's partner, and that's all he's credited as, Calvero's partner. And um, as Jeremy has repeatedly told me, this is the first and only time that Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin were in the same movie together. <clears throat> and, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, I haven't seen many, but I, well, I haven't seen any Buster Keaton films, but, you know, Buster Keaton, just like Charlie, you know, they started off in the a silent movie um, industry together and then transitioned into talkies. And if I remember what Jeremy told me, by this point, Buster Keaton's career had also gone down uh, a little bit as well. And so it was just very refreshing to see that Charlie 
having asked Buster to do this, agreed. And they do this wonderful act. I was laughing repeatedly uh, because of how funny it was, is this act between a pianist and a violinist. Uh, Charlie being the violinist, Calvero, I mean, Calvero being the violinist, and his partner being the pianist. And it's just very vaudeville, you know, they can't get their instruments tuned correctly. Um, uh, The uh, pianist uh, can't seem to keep his music up. Um, And then all the strings on the piano start to break and they manage to pull them all out, but it's okay, the piano's fine. Um, My favorite little bit in the act is... um, Buster Keaton accidentally steps on the violin because the violin ends up on the floor and they're looking for it and they find it and it's completely destroyed. And so Calvero looks at him like, well, I can't play this. So he throws it off and then behind his back pulls out a new violin. <laughs> it's it, again, um, like what we talked about with the Marx brothers episode, very live action cartoon. Um, and it's, and it's phenomenal. And of course, Charlie was, Charlie was the master of that. And then they give this great performance. Um, and again, uh, Calvero is receiving these standing ovations. You know, people are loving him. He is, he has made his comeback. Um, but unfortunately, during the, the final part of the encore, he, uh, the, part of the bit is he falls off stage, um, but he gets hurt, genuinely hurt. And so they take him back to the, the prop room where he has suffered a heart attack. And he tells, Terry decides she's not going to go on, but he tells her, no, you need to, you have to, you have to dance. Don't worry about me, dance. And his final wish is to, he wants to see her dance because he knows he's not long for, for the world. And before they can get him out there in time to see Terry dance, yeah, he passes away. And that's, and that's it. Movie over. We see Terry dancing, um, blissfully unaware that Calvero has died. Um, and it's, it's very, very sad. It, it really is. It is a sad ending. Um, but that's okay. You know, it, it, it it's almost like... And this is something that I've said uh, about David Bowie. Um, Calvero went out on his own terms, in, in a sense. At least that's how I interpret it. Uh, hopefully, if, if Jeremy has listened to this episode and has made it this far, um, he will agree with me. Um, but Calvero had, he went out on his terms, um, which was, I don't want sympathy. I want people to enjoy the show because they are enjoying the show. And he knew that, and it was almost as if his body was saying, okay, now it's time to rest. And, and it's just very, again, very powerful and very sad, but just really good, really good, fantastic, phenomenal work on, on, uh, on Charlie's end. Um, yeah, I, I'm really glad uh, Jeremy recommended this uh, for me. And speaking of Jeremy, I have a special um, announcement. No, what is it? A special message from Jeremy. 
Hey everybody! Sorry I couldn't be there uh, this week. Um, I am right now in Canyon Lake, Texas, um, on our way to the cruise that we are going to go on. Um, so, yeah. But I wanted to do a quick video, do some of my thoughts uh, for the film. That way, Rain doesn't really have to do this all on his own, although I'm sure he could, and I'm hopefully he loved the movie just as much as I do. Um, so let's let's go ahead and jump right in. So to me, Limelight is, I mean, it's one of those films that is so encompassing of a, a career, meaning when Chaplin made this film, he was already in the latter part of his career, right? And in knowing that and having that knowledge of his past career and, and where he started, where he is now, all that he's accomplished since then, uh, it really does hit that much harder when his character is sort of this, the, the antithesis of that. His success didn't make it to... Um, or Chaplin's did, and it's almost as if maybe Chaplin is saying something along the lines of, you know, what if my career didn't take off? This is kind of where I would be, or this is like the, this is the fear. This is, you know, this is the, the risk you take in, in doing what we do, being these performance artists, being, you know, in the entertainment industry, right? I think what further promotes this idea is the fact that at the very end of the film, sorry if you can hear my friends in the other room, I apologize. Um, at the end of the film, he is performing that scene with Buster Keaton, which is a huge deal um, in the in the realm of <clears throat> maybe not the realm, whatever. That's not the right word, but it's a huge deal because of who Buster Keaton is. I'm sure we've talked about him on the podcast before. I can't remember at the moment, but you know, Buster Keaton is without a doubt, one of the greatest silent film stars to ever exist. Right. I think for me, it's Chaplin and then Buster because I'm sort of biased because I love Chaplin so much, but uh, in many ways, Buster is sort of above Chaplin, especially with his stunts and his physical comedy is, I think, well above Chaplin's. Um, it just so happens that where Chaplin went one way, Buster went another, and, and Buster's career didn't take off in, and thrive the way that, that Chaplin's did, which is sort of, it's almost, you know, it's not necessarily mirroring or representing Buster's life necessarily. I, I think that there are some parallels and some comparisons that can be made uh, for that argument. But honestly, I just think that, you know, with Buster and his life and the way that his career went, it, it, it lends to more emotion in the film when you see Buster Keaton. Of course, knowing who he is makes all the difference, right? I think that if you're just watching this film and you don't know who that other guy is, I think it loses sort of the, the magic of the scene 
that it was intended to have. Um, I think that it, I think that Calvero as a character is so heartbreaking yet so it, it, it's so human yet so relatable. I think that a lot of a lot of us have have tried and failed in, in certain things and and maybe wish that we could wish that we could have done better or thought that we might have succeeded in a way. Um, I'm rambling, but of course this is hard to do without someone else uh, to bounce off of. Um, there's a scene in particular I want to talk about besides the end uh, with uh, Chaplin and Buster is, is the scene, it's the nightmare, where he is doing the the flea bit, right? Where... Uh, he is. He has one flea jump to the other, in the uh, you know, uh, which is a brilliant piece of vaudevillian uh, performance art. And when when he he notices that there is no audience and he and it you know the camera cuts to the audience and it's empty. Um, it is it. It's such a beautiful analogy. And, and of course, it's like a, not a personification because that doesn't make sense, but it, it's a great visual representation of his anxieties and of his fear and of his regret, right? Uh, he, he really does regret the way that his life is, is gone and his career has ended up and, of course, he's a has-been now, right? Um, which is why he drinks and he doesn't give a shit and he's behind on his rent and all that. Um, I, I just love that scene. I love that Chaplin is using the old school vaudevillian, uh, performance and the comedy that, which is so perfect for him because not only did he grow up in that, in that environment, but the amount of commitment that needs to be uh, that needs to be there for that bit to even work with the fleas, I think that you know it's perfect. And of course, the the visuals of it all it's it takes very little dialogue um, for the bit to work. And of course, that's where the the silent film actor uh, expertise comes in, in in that scene. And I love it so much. Uh, I think Claire Bloom is incredible as the down and out uh, ballerina I, I i can't imagine a, a better pair than the two of them in this film um i think that it's just a beautiful drama about about career about dreams about getting back something that you love and what you would do to make that happen. And the music in it is just gorgeous. I There's something about, I think it's also why I love Chaplin so much, is there's something about a, a single, a singular vision, right? The same person wrote, directed, starred, scored, and edited the movie, and you can tell, right? It's a singular vision that is maybe genius, you know? Again, it's it's subverting our expectations of what we think of a Chaplin film 
because of the subject matter, right? We are expecting it to be sort of whimsical, light, funny, um, with, of course, exception to The Great Dictator, which was, I think, 12 years before this, that also dealt with very heavy subject matter, but that was a direct satire. This is just a straight drama, basically. And yes, there are funny moments in it. Yes, there are comedic bits in it, like with the fleas and with the the end scene with Buster Keaton. There are bits there and they're great, but they're highlighting the drama. They're highlighting the the grief of a lost of a lost life that they could have had. Or uh, in Buster Keaton's case, you know, it highlights real life um, real life loss of, of a career. Um, that eventually he would gain a little bit back, but um, unfortunately he never rised to the height that Chaplin did, um, which is a shame because Buster Keaton's one of the greats. And if you guys haven't seen any of Buster Keaton's work, you need to. Um, I know Kino um, has a Blu-ray collection of his short films, which I highly recommend you check out. Uh, also, The General, um, The Navigator is good. Um, those are classics. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But they're they're perfect, right? Uh, Keaton used to say that if you if he would tell his his crew, he would tell them if we can't get it in one shot, we're not doing it. We'll do something else, right? Because the stunt is part of what makes it great. Right. Uh, if you can't tell he's doing it for real, he doesn't want you to think they're cheating. So if we can't get it in one shot, we're not doing it. Right. Um, which is just his his genius. Right. And the two of them together in that final scene is so bittersweet because of the because knowing that Buster could have had this wonderful career had he made the decisions that Chaplin did uh, in terms of the the sort of not necessarily politics, but the just um, business-type decisions, right, um, that he made that Buster didn't. Um, I think that might be all I got, man. Uh, I love this film. I think that it's beautiful. I think that it's... It's not the best Chaplin film. It's hard to say. I you, I used to tell people this is my favorite film before I saw M. But, and I stand by it. I stand by that this would be my favorite Chaplin film. Is it the best Chaplin film? No, but it speaks to me personally. I think that, again, having the subject matter be a down and out, you know, in this, in he's almost a clown, right, Calvero? It's it's as if you know, you have to you have to know and track Chaplin's career to even truly get a sense of the weight of the drama, right? I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's how I feel. I feel that without really knowing a lot of Chaplin's career and knowing that this was, you know, one of his final films, um, 
then it doesn't have the weight. It doesn't have that emotional impact. Um, but, you know, uh, hopefully we can uh, convince people to uh, watch um, some Chaplin films and especially watch this one. Limelight is just beautiful and it's great. And um, it tells a story only Chaplin can tell, I think. Um, and again, shout out to uh, Claire Bloom. Shout out to Buster Keaton. Uh, and shout out to that score. God, the, the music is wonderful in this. So hope you guys enjoyed this little quick uh, video um, of me in bed, by the way. This is uh, the bed in the holiday and there were it is freezing in this room so that's why i'm in bed because i'm under the covers it's so cold in here uh, but i had to get away for a second make this quick video and uh hopefully it doesn't sound too shitty because i didn't have my microphone with me uh so that's it man uh, i hope you enjoyed the film i hope it spoke to you just like it spoke to me i i love it and i hope you did too buddy all right i'll see you guys next time for silence i'm very excited and I will talk to you guys later. See ya. And that was Jeremy's special message. Oh, man. Well, everyone. Um, so final thoughts uh, on the movie. Uh, the movie was great. The movie does kind of shine a light on what happens when famous people die out uh, in terms of fame. Um, and what becomes of them. And it, it was it was just a very, again, very, I keep saying it, but very powerful almost statement from Charlie. And, and it's just so odd that this is the story he decided to tell right when he was essentially kicked out of the United States, you know? And it's just, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I, could, I can't speak anymore about how much I loved the movie. Um, I'm really glad Jeremy decided to, to tell me to listen to it. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I guess that's my wrap up. Um, all right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed this solo episode. Um, these probably won't be too regular just because I, uh, again, I need someone else to talk to it. This has been very hard, uh, making sure that my thoughts are straight and, uh, uh, I'm not just filling dead air and things like that. Um, but, uh, I, again, I hope you enjoyed this, uh, next week, uh, the next official episode of season seven, Jeremy will be back, uh, in studio and, uh, next week we'll be talking about silence. Um, again, if you missed our tease for last week, um, silence, all I know is that it's, uh, it's going to be my pick, um, that it's a Martin Scorsese movie um, about two priests traveling to Japan uh, during a time in which uh, preaching Christianity in Japan was outlawed. Um, and that's all I know. Uh, it's got my, my baby boy, uh, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, Liam Neeson. Um, yeah, I can't wait to watch it. So again, guys, I hope you enjoyed this solo episode. And Jeremy and I will see you next week for Silent. When I was three, my nurse told me about reincarnation. And ever since, I've been convinced, thrilled with anticipation, that when I leave this earth, it makes my heart feel warm to know that I'll return 
in some other form. But I don't want to be a tree sticking in the ground. I'd sooner be a flea. I don't want to.